This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malat. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 2. This season, the focus is on listening to the voices of our Black friends, neighbors, and strangers in order that we might better learn from their experiences of what it's like being Black in America. Today, you will meet Miriama Smith Traore. She's a senior student athlete and English major at St. Louis University in Missouri. She also happens to have two extraordinary talents. She's a collegiate basketball player, as well as a top-notch writer, having been published in her hometown newspaper. I first learned of Miriama through a mutual friend who sent me her article, Seeing Color. In it, Miriama says, now is the right time to educate yourself on the reality of black lives and how you can become an effective advocate for racial justice. You can start by seeing color. She had me hooked with those lines. She's a thoughtful, kind, expressive young woman, and thanks to her incredible parents, she's also especially wise beyond her years. I commend her for taking the time to share her heart, her fears, and experiences with us. It is a very vulnerable position to be in, and I applaud her courage. Thank you so much for joining me on the Gramercy podcast. We're going to start with a super important question. Since the rest of this is super heavy, I like starting with a very light uh, topic. So who are the three people, dead or alive, that you would invite to dinner and why? Well, my first answer would be my grandma, who I didn't meet, because my dad is so important to me, and my dad is an incredible person, and I've always been super curious about the woman who raised him, because she died before I was born. Mm. So that would be my first person. I would love to get to know her. And what's her name? Her name is Awa. That's my middle name. Um, Awa. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, And then my second person would be Viola Davis. She's she's so awesome. Um, she's just a really strong, powerful black woman, and I I absolutely love her. I think mm-hmm. she's incredible. That's the very first thing that popped into my mind. Just a beautiful example of a strong woman. Her life story is incredible. Mm-hmm. So she's such an inspiration. Yeah. Okay, you're gonna have a great dinner so far. Who's your last <laughs> person? Okay. Um, and then my last one, I would say, would be Angela Davis. Um, oh. I. She just inspires me as well. That mm-hmm. one is a given. And I would love to hear, I would love to see the conversation her and Vi- uh, Viola would have. For sure. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, so it would be. Well, that's a great start. Um, how old were you when your parents explained about racism to you? And tell me what that conversation was like. Yeah. Um, well, I think my mom tried to talk to me about it my whole life. As long as I can remember, she was always very conscious of the obstacles that I would have to go to go through, not only as a woman, but as a black woman. Um, mm-hmm. And she, she's, she's white, so she mm-hmm. never had to go through those. So she was also very conscious of trying to give me role models that were black women and dolls that were black and movies with black women in them. Um, and I think that I was so protected Mm -hmm. by her Mm -hmm. that I didn't see it all the time. Sometimes I would get a little bit frustrated. 
-hmm. if if I went through like any type of bullying when I was young or an interaction with someone that was a little bit off one of the first questions my mom would always ask me was do you think that that this happened because of your race and and she was assuming but she really wanted to hear from me because I was one of the only I was the only black girl in my class growing up in elementary school and um when I went through some of those things that kids go through she just wanted to you know have that conversation up front is do you think that this is because of race and if it's not then we'll deal with it and if it is and if it's just you then that's something bigger and she just wanted me to know that that obstacle was there and not ignore it she sounds very purposeful in how she raised you yeah. what wisdom how how did she come to be so wise and empathetic to the situation do you know she's just incredible <laughs> she's just the best mom in the world yeah. So. <laughs> yeah she's just she's always been very conscious of all minority groups and very helpful and very insightful um, and very willing to listen and learn and i think that her willingness to learn from other people has made her who she is today and and helps her ability to advise other people Okay, your mom is who we're all trying to be like. So <laughs> shout out to Miriam's mom. What is your mom's name? Her name is Lauren Smith. Lauren Smith, we love you. I mean, look <laughs> at this beautiful, well-adjusted daughter you have. Do you have any other siblings? No, it's just me. Oh, you're an only child. Mm -hmm. So when did you recognize when you were at school that other people didn't necessarily look like you? Or did you just not even notice? It honestly, it took a little while for me to put my finger on the difference that I felt between myself and other students. Um, there were times when I couldn't relate to other students, like when it came to hair, for example, mm -hmm. questions asked about my hair or the way people would, you know, touch my hair or things like that ask me oh do you use this product or do you listen to this music certain questions that i was like why why are why is the way that i approach these situations so different mm -hmm. and why are my experiences so different um but it really came down to basketball that was the big factor that really helped me see race and see that difference um Wow. I, I was the only African American uh kid on on my any of my school teams growing up. And a couple of comments were made, you're really athletic because you're black, or of mm -hmm. course you're good at basketball because you're black. And those started to kind of sink in as that doesn't feel right. That doesn't mm -hmm. sound right. Mm -hmm. And it felt like it was taking away from the work and that I had put into basketball and and my talent that had come from hard work and um, I think that being the only black girl on the court a lot of the time and dealing with that extra factor was what really made me realize, wow, like this, these comments aren't okay. No, they're not. And most people wouldn't realize those were racist comments mm -hmm. by attributing one characteristic to a whole group of people mm -hmm. is very racist. And people say that nonchalantly all the time don't they? Yep. And we have no idea how it's received. 
because many black people are extremely gracious and just nod and say, yes, I understand. Cause you just don't want to get into it. It's just another one of those small, well, I don't know that it's small, but just another one of those daily microaggressions you yeah. just put up with. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that your mom, Lauren is white. Um, is your dad, um, does he have African, did he come from Africa? Did he, or does he have African descent or, cause you mentioned calling yourself African-American and I'm always confused as to what is the polite way to call people? Cause a lot of black people are not from Africa. They're from like Jamaica or they're from South America. So could you please inform me? Um, so my dad is African. Um, okay. He is a um, immigrant from Africa. He moved here for grad school when he was 26. Okay. And was on his own. He got a scholarship to come study at Iowa. So yeah, he, he is an African man <laughs> to his core. And um, I, so I, that's why I identify myself as mm -hmm. African American. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to be honest with you. I am not positive what people are more comfortable with when they're not, you know, when maybe they're the black side of them or if they're fully black, but they're not, you know, African. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what they prefer. Cause I, I've always, what do you prefer? I'm, I'm comfortable with either. Either I'm, one. Yeah. I am comfortable with either one, especially because of where my dad is from. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm proud of that. And I love identifying with that. As you should be. Okay. He was dropped into the middle of Iowa straight yeah. from Africa. I cannot yeah. imagine yeah. <laughs> more culturally different place was he well accepted or was he just that congenial of a guy that everybody got along with him um he had a lot of difficulties i know i know that there's more than i even know about um first of all the language barrier second of all he is a 610 black man and yeah some people some people get intimidated by him and he is the biggest sweetheart in the world uh -huh. <laughs> it's such a teddy bear um and funniest story is he had it's actually, actually not very funny but it's funny now um some of his new friends his first friends at iowa were you know kind of messing with him with his you know lack of english yeah. vocabulary and they told him just just say what's up to everybody just say what's up man or yo what's up just mm -hmm. you know, just messing with him um and he addressed a teacher like that <laughs> because he didn't know <laughs> he didn't know the difference between you know how you address your professors and how you address your friends so mm -hmm. he had he definitely had a learning curve i imagine in the united states but he adjusted and he stayed when he met my mom so and how did he meet your mom at school yeah they both Went to grad school at Iowa. That's awesome. And what does your father do and your mother do now? They're both professors at University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. Okay. Um, which is chemistry. And she, uh, she taught women's studies for a while. And now she's just, she's an administrator. Very good. And you do not go to the University of Wisconsin, do you? No. No. Where do you go? I go to St. Louis University. Yeah. And um, what year are you there? I'm a senior. You're a senior. Yeah. Wow. I hope we have a vaccine in time for you to actually walk across that stage next year. I do too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you mentioned you're on the basketball team. 
I hope you have a season as well, because that would be really hard. It would just suck to graduate and not get to play your senior year or have at least some part of a season. Yeah. Um, um, I actually, I transferred from Marquette after my freshman year. So I have an extra season, a red shirt season. So I would still have an extra year, which is nice. Good. Yeah. Okay. That's good to hear. I'm glad for you. So it sounds like your mom and dad were both very together and how they chose to raise you to be aware of your African heritage, to embrace that. And no wonder your mom was so purposeful and how she chose to raise you. Did they only use the questions? Did you think that was racism or do you think it was something else when you brought up an issue or did they sit down and say, Miriama, we want you to be aware this could happen to you. Was there ever a conversation like that? I, there were conversations like that when it would happen in Whitewater um, where I grew up there would be moments when my mom would say, this is what happened at your school recently. This is why. This occurrence was an occurrence of racism and explaining to me, you know, your skin sets you apart from other kids. And Mm -hmm. sometimes people will try to use that against you. You can't let them, you can't, Mm -hmm. you know, believe that. My dad as I said earlier, he's a black man and dealt with his own situations. Um, and my mom and my dad would both talk to me about them and explain why it happened, why it's wrong and why we have to be so proud of who we are so that that racism doesn't take over, that racism doesn't. Yeah. I'm just, I'm speechless because it just tells me what strength of character your parents have, that they have instilled such a beautiful self-concept of who you are in you. That is so to their testament and to yours, that you have this beautiful character that can withstand these ugly barbs of attack against you. And it only makes you stronger, it seems, because I don't see a trace or hear a trace of bitterness or resentment. You just take all those things and you learn from them and you have seemed to apply them. Mm-hmm. Is that how you feel about it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, can't let it. You can. Well, I don't win. Yeah. But I'd have to say, I don't know that I would be that way. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, I, I think when, when going through something repeatedly just makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like you have a thicker skin or you've been able to brush aside things a lot more? Yeah, I think so. I think I think I've learned how to handle situations in a way that is healthy for me. Like I I have learned not to hold on to that bitterness and hold on to words that are offensive and words that are said out of ignorance because a lot of that has nothing to do with me. A lot of that has to do with their character and the way that they were raised and their own evils that they're dealing with yes so that that, that's been a really important thing to learn is that you have to choose when to walk away and understand that it's not about you man you have so much wisdom at such a young age that's beautiful so do you remember the first time either 
you had to call somebody out on a racist comment or that something was directed at you and you had to deal with it. Do you remember that one instance? Yeah. Um, I remember when I was in elementary school, I was playing a game with some friends outside and at, at recess at school. And we had been playing a game and I was playing with a couple white students and it was me and a couple uh, Latinx students. And we were playing and for some reason, the groups had been separated and one group was the, they were like the main characters of the game that we were playing. And we were, you know, the supporting roles, like, oh, you can be the friend and you can be, mm-hmm. and one of our, lunch supervisors had been watching and said you need to mix up these groups that's not okay and i didn't understand i didn't understand why my my teacher was getting so worked up and saying like you can't you shouldn't be separating like you guys should all have equal roles and it was a really it was a really calm approach she approached it really calmly mm-hmm. but i didn't understand why she was getting involved and mm-hmm. it wasn't until a couple years later that I was, I was talking with a classmate about that. And she was like, yeah, they had made us the servants and, and they were the, you know, they were the main characters, they were the bosses. And, and I was like, oh, wow. We were only like nine and 10. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if the kids knew, the kids who had directed the game knew why that was wrong or if mm-hmm. they had just seen it. If they just mm-hmm. thought, you know, that's the way that things work. Mm-hmm. And then in sixth grade, I think it was, um, I was sitting in class and we had a, our first basketball game, our first middle school basketball game. And a student walked up to me and was like, we have, we have the black girl on our team. We have the advantage and like gave me a fist bump. And I was like, cool. What, what does that mean? And it, And again, it wasn't until like high school that I'm, Thinking back to me being like, what does that have to do with the advantage? Mm-hmm. Realizing I was being stereotyped. Yes, yes. And I had kind of internalized that and, and assumed that people thought that about me and assumed that people thought that about our team. Like, oh, they have this athletic black girl, you know, she's going to play differently than the rest of the girls. Yeah. It makes sense. Instead of just being one of the girls on the team who just yeah. happens to have extraordinary skills, yeah. despite whatever skin color she happens to have. Exactly. Would you consider that a microaggression or are there other microaggressions that just really annoy you, like that you just have to constantly put up with? Um, is there a time when you snap, when you're just like, please don't? Yeah. Um, I would consider that a microaggression for sure. Okay. Um also, other situations that I've experienced those types of microaggressions are when I'm told that I speak very well or speak dignified or professionally. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes I'll play music like, "Oh, you you listen to white people music," stuff like that. That's to me that it it really <laughs> just talking mm. about it really frustrates me. Yeah, because I just don't understand how those those thoughts 
come into someone's head and and feel okay if that makes sense yeah because sometimes I'm I'm in a group of people and and they'll just laugh and nod and don't necessarily recognize it and that part is also frustrating is that other people can't recognize the microaggression and I always feel like I'm the one who has to either handle it or decide that it's I'm gonna not Mm -hmm. make a situation bigger than it has to be yes because then do people accuse you of playing the race card why do you have to be so sensitive about all these things instead of yeah it's easier to probably just downplay it isn't it right do any of your friends act as allies and speak up or out for you yeah um they do i think it's uncomfortable i think it's uncomfortable for everyone i think that sometimes people don't know how exactly they can help um Mm -hmm. so exactly yeah i think that that's a that that's an issue right now is especially is just they don't know what their place is in the situation Mm -hmm. um and my personal opinion is that if you're there and you see it that everybody's place is to address it say something yeah to say something for myself personally there are times when i'm exhausted from feeling like i need to speak up and also dealing with the thought that i don't want to be labeled as the angry black woman you know that stereotype that label um and you know i'm sure a lot of black women are angry about what they've had to deal with Mm -hmm. but i hate that speaking up about it makes us aggressive or makes us look like we're you know asking for too much or that we're you know too i I don't even know the word i don't even know the thought that comes up you know what i mean it shouldn't it shouldn't be you're just those are just normal things everybody wants they don't want to be labeled to be labeled an angry black woman it's just so rude I, i just don't know what else to say i'm sorry i'm sorry you have to put up with such insensitive people. It really upsets me. Yeah. And like you said, a lot of people don't know what to do or how to be an ally. Mm -hmm. And I like how you said, just say something, just stand up for when something's wrong. Yeah. I definitely think that that part of where these things come from, as far as where the the microaggressions come from, I think a lot of people just don't understand how different things really are for kids who are raised mm-hmm. black kids who are being raised in white kids mm-hmm. because there are there are a lot of different conversations like you said earlier that are had in those households and a lot of different factors that we're dealing with in our lives and these microaggressions just add to them yeah you know and I to someone it might seem someone who's white and hasn't had to deal with those it might seem like it's just a small it's a little joke but a little joke added on to a big pile of anxieties and and hardships isn't little anymore it's 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 adding to a, a bigger issue that's a really good visual i'm glad you said that um yeah keep it in perspective for sure do you have fear of the police or have you ever had any negative experiences because of um, police brutality? Um, do you trust them? 
Does your father trust them? That's a very good question. Um, I never had experience with a police officer where I felt unsafe, where I felt unsafe for my life. But I know that my my parents have had that conversation with me about how you deal with police officers. And um, firstly, I mean, my mom told me when it's dark out, don't wear your hood and don't have your hands in your pockets when you're walking, especially when you're by yourself. That's it's just how it is. And I mean, I'm, I'm six one and I'm a strong basketball player. So mm-hmm. I have my hood up, you know, no one can tell who I am and not that it matters. Even if I was black man, white man, mm-hmm. white girl, black woman, it, it doesn't matter, but I could be stereotyped just from seeing someone with their hood up. Um, mm-hmm. I've been told, you know, there are situations where kids will think that they can get away with things like, you know, if you're at a party and you're underage or whatever it is that, that kids are doing, the consequences for them can just, it's simply be different. They mm-hmm. would be different. So when your friends are trying to pressure you into doing this or doing that, you have to consider that the consequences for them aren't as dire as they are for you in all situations. Yes. Um, I know that my dad has had situations where, where there was an amount of aggression towards him that wasn't necessary for the situation, where he was spoken to disrespectfully mm-hmm. um, when dealing with a simple you know, traffic stop. Mm-hmm. And when you're walking up to a car and they see my dad and have this image of his personality, this image of his character just by looking at him, I know that that plays a factor. I do know people who are police officers who I love and who have reached out to me. Um, but I, I do have a problem with what's going on with police brutality. I do have a problem with police officers not being held accountable for killing people, for choking people, for hurting people. Um, and I, I do have a problem with feeling like if I am in those situations that no matter what I do, I will be seen in the wrong. I feel like um, a lot of our, our justice system is set up so that police officers have some protection um, and some, you know, they get like the benefit of the doubt. You totally, don't know, totally. You don't yeah. know exactly what the situation is or you don't know mm-hmm. what they're thinking. They have to protect their lives, things like that. We have to, I have to protect my life. Everyone has to protect their life. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it's fair that a badge says mm-hmm. that this person has the right to act a certain way. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a really hard situation right now. It's a really hard time it is. because... Like I was, I was telling a friend the other day, I was walking down the road, the street and someone yelled blue lives matter out the window to me. And I wasn't wearing a black lives matter shirt. I wasn't, I was just walking and I was a black woman. And it seems as though the country has decided that you're, you have to take a side. You're either, exactly. it's either blue lives matter or black lives matter. Why, why can't, the life of a police officer matter and my life matter? That is a brilliant question. Yes, it can be both. Exactly. But just saying that um, 
that there is a problem with police brutality is not saying, it's not the same as saying, I hate all police. <laughs> I just, I don't understand why we can't have a little bit of um, both and instead of either or, right. you know? Exactly. Well, this next question, I kind of already know the answer because I've read your essay, but I'm going to ask it anyways. And then I'm also going to link to your essay um, in my show notes because this is just the most beautiful, poignant essay I think everybody should read. But let me just get to the question. Has anyone ever said to you, I don't see color um, or I'm colorblind or um, how do you feel when you hear this? How would you prefer somebody say they support you, that they care and that they stand with you? Well, to start with, yes, I've heard that saying, I don't see color, I'm colorblind. And I understand the intent. I really understand the intent, but being blind to the issue does not help the issue. It actually, in my opinion, I think it enables people who see color as as a weapon, as a as a bad thing, as that see differences as something that um, gives one group power and one group, you know, one group gets the short end of the stick. Honestly, um, I think it's so important to see color because when you see color you see all the differences that i was telling you about all of the ways that a black child is raised versus a white child all the differences that a black child that all the different hardships that the black child is going to go through that a white child might not go through and when you see color you can educate other people on those differences Mm -hmm. So when, when you see, you know, how many homeless people are black versus homeless people that are white, mm -hmm. and you can see, you know, that proportion, you can also understand all the factors of economics, of healthcare, you know, all of that, that plays into that. Mm -hmm. And that's just an example. Yeah, the systemic problems that come exactly. from, from that, yeah. Exactly. So when you say you don't see my color, like I said in my article, I don't feel like you see me. I feel like you see what you want to see and you see the parts of me that might be easy for you to see, but you're not wanting to be with me through all of my struggle and you're not wanting to understand what I've been through and what I go through every day. Mm -hmm. So I think that the best response, instead of saying, I don't see color, is just, I see you and I, I see what you're I going see. through. I love that. I see you. Yeah. It's hard to talk about intent when people speak. And I think that's very gracious of you to say, I understand the intent behind those words. You would have had to say that to me at one point about 10 years ago. I used to say that I'm colorblind. I don't see color. I love all people. And I did not know, I had no idea that was an offensive thing to say. Somebody called me out on it, a fellow, um, an older, retired white gentleman said, um, no, Corey, you do. You see color. No, I don't. I'm colorblind. Um, no, you're not. 
He's like, you'll understand one day. But he was very gracious and kind to me about it. He didn't argue with me. He just presented the facts. He's like, you do see it. You just don't understand right now. And I'm thankful that somebody told me and caused me to think and learn and be receptive to, well, what does that mean? What am I saying? And what does it mean? He had more experience with more African-Americans than I'd had. And he knew that that was not a good thing to say. But that embarrasses me. It was only 10 years ago. I've gotten most of my life saying stupid things like that. It's, it's so important to have people like that, that fellow around. Yeah. Educate people. It is. That's being an ally. Yeah. White people saying it so you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of why I'm doing this to like, to learn and to have other people listen and learn. Like we don't know what we don't know. So maybe you hear something that, that convicts you that mm -hmm. people think, Oh, I do that. And I don't have bad motives, but it could be perceived as that. So that's why I'm doing this. Thank you. Did you experience obstacles in your life that made you feel that equal opportunity wasn't so equal? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest obstacles was growing up and not seeing people of color in roles that I could imagine myself doing. Mm -hmm. that makes sense. So that makes perfect I, sense. Right. So I didn't see a lot of black doctors or mm -hmm. black pilots or, um, you know, black nurses. I didn't have a black professor, black teacher until my junior year of college. Mm. And I think that that was one of the biggest obstacles was well, like, what's, what's my place? You know, where, where, where do I fit in this world? It seems like this isn't set up for someone like me, mm -hmm. which, which is why it was so important and so beneficial for me to have the mom that I have, because she said, she was like, you, your place is wherever you want it to be, you know, be the first, you know, be someone's first black teacher, which is what I'm hoping to be. Well, not, maybe not their first, but I'm hoping to be a black teacher. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, be, be a, someone's black doctor, be whoever you want to be for kids just like you. Mm -hmm. um, another um, obstacle that I faced also in school was people assuming that I wasn't as educated or as smart as other students. My mm -hmm. mom recently was just telling me that um, one of my childhood friends, uh, her, her mother called my mom and said, I found this tutor that I think would be great for Miriam or something. Or oh, no, she had said, she had said, my daughter would be happy to tutor Miriam and I think it was English or something. And my mom was like, Miriamma would be happy to tutor your daughter <laughs> because she's, you know, protective mama bear. But yeah, um, it was, it was situations like that where it's like, I felt like I always had to prove myself or I felt like I had oh. to show, you know, I'm just as smart as she is, or, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not what you're assuming that I am. I'm not who you're assuming that I am. I'm, having to prove that I was, you know, an educated woman or having to prove that I could keep up mm -hmm. in, in conversations or that I could fit in, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I wanted, I felt like I worked so hard to 
show people that we had common ground, you mm-hmm. know, that they mm-hmm. could talk to me, that they could feel comfortable with me, that they, yeah. and, and I think that, that that shouldn't happen, that I shouldn't have to feel like I have to show my, my best and my brightest just to be equal. Yes. I should be able to be myself and, and be accepted for myself. I think that that should be the given, you know, and I think that that, that started from a young age. I, I was always trying to, to prove who I was and, Mm -hmm. and that I should be able to fit in and that I should have a seat at the table when other students were just accepted. I'm so sorry. That's such a heavy burden to carry around all the time for so long. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that you felt that, that way. That makes me sad for you. Thank you. Mm. You have this platform. Is there anything you would like people to know or would just like to use this time to say that's on your heart? Speak to the situation in the world or to whatever's happening. Is there anything, any words of wisdom that you would like to leave us with in parting? Yeah. Um, I think one of the most important things that I've learned during this time is to do everything with intention. My advice would be not to fly into arguments or go straight to succumbing to frustration. Mm -hmm. I would advise to do everything with the intent of educating others. And if the conversation feels like you're talking in circles or, you know, your words are being misconstrued, I would say that you have to choose your battles. You have to choose when your energy is going to be um, useful and helpful. And when you're talking to someone who's just going to be blind and deaf to what you're trying to say, then you have to know when to walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say that, like you said, that that, that um, older fellow who had talked to you was mm-hmm. very gracious and understanding. Mm-hmm. I would say that there's a time and a place for, for grace and for patience because the world that people are being raised in is, isn't set up for people of color and it isn't set up for people mm-hmm. to be educated about diversity and, and issues of race. Um, so I think that understanding that and combating that with patience and, um, and with intent, the intent to educate is really important. I definitely think that there's a time and a place to, to fight for people to yes. you know, bring your power, bring everything, you know, when you need to defend yourself, when you are defending the people that you love, when you are defending people who can't defend mm-hmm. themselves, mm-hmm. there's absolutely a time and a place to bring your power and your, however that comes out, then that's how that comes out. But I mm-hmm. think that patience is so good, not only for the people that you're talking to, but also for your own health, you know, not holding on to that anger all the time. For sure. Yeah. Just focus on that, that intent. Beautiful, beautiful words of wisdom. I like how you said, educate. In that education, do you have any books that you like to recommend to people that they read in order to educate themselves? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, so a fictional book that I love um, is The Hate You Give. I think that that's a popular yes. book, but yes. I think that it's super important to um, 
read stories like that because it's a little bit more relatable and it's a little bit more understandable because it takes place in our society today. There's so many things that are coming to my mind that it's hard to narrow down. But a movie even that I would recommend would be Just Mercy, um, which is a great movie talking mm-hmm. about the justice system and explaining what uh, people in our history have gone through. Mm-hmm. Uh, 13th talks a lot about our justice system. Um, but reading about the Jim Crow laws in general. Yeah, I there's think. one, The New Jim Crow. Yeah, that's a book. The new Jim uh-huh. Crow. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great one. Those are some excellent recommendations. Thank you, Mariama. I only have three closing questions. And the first one is, what is your tip to make the world a better place? Or did you just say that with the intent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, w- I would just say that making the world a better place is just to do everything with love, with the intent, with intent and, mm-hmm. you know, out of love for others and, and self-love. Yeah, that, that's my best advice. <laughs> Man, you, the world is about to gain another amazing person once you graduate from college. <laughs> Those I am so excited for the kids you get to teach and how you get to speak into their lives. You have so much wisdom at such a young age, but I think it's because you've already lived so much and you had such amazing parents to remind you who you were. You're not what these people, these outsiders say you are. We're telling you who you are and they empowered you so well from such a young age um okay what are you the most thankful for um i'm the most thankful for my parents mm-hmm. they're good answer yeah <laughs> they're incredible they really are and mm-hmm. being away from them and being in college has just helped me appreciate them so much oh, more beautiful answer and lastly what is your favorite quote oh i like that question um, I think my favorite quote would be Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Um, it's darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Mm-hmm. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, it's something that I've tried to, you know, instill in myself when I get yeah. frustrated, when I get angry and, and I just want to, fight fire with fire, you know? Yes. You want to fight that with the exact same energy that's coming at you and you can't. Yeah. That's what helps them win. That's what they want is exactly bring you down to that level. And that's not, it's not how we're going to win. Those are the best closing words I've heard. It's not how they're going to (laughs) win. Thank you, Mariama. It has been such a pleasure to visit with you today. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. From my brief time with Mariama, it's quite evident to me that she lives out her favorite quote. She is such an inspiration to me with her calm, gentle, patient ways. I'm in awe of her parents and the love, wisdom, and acceptance of others that they modeled to their beautiful daughter as she was growing up. Not that her life was without struggle. I see how those hardships, anxieties, and inequities were used as teachable moments that helped her grow in grace and wisdom. They made her a stronger, better person. But those insensitive remarks, the stereotyping and the cruel behaviors still caused great pain. She just chose forgiveness, love, and education as the ways of healing those wounds. 
I see you, Miriama. I see what you're going through, and I stand with you. May we all find it within ourselves to be gracious to one another and to live as intentionally as Miriama has. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road. <laughs>